I asked the question, what is the goal in gospel preaching? What is the goal in evangelism? What is the goal in personal witness? And of course, all of us want to see conversions. We want people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We want to see people added to his church. But there is a sense in which there is a danger in making that our goal, which is this, that when people are not saved, we may come to the conclusion or jump to the conclusion that that evangelism has failed, that it has not been a success because we have not seen anybody saved, that only conversions equals success when it comes to the proclaiming of the gospel. Now, of course, in some senses, that's slightly a, a, a worldly way of thinking, that we have to have some kind of obvious, visible result for something to have been worth doing. Uh, but, of course, these verses that we've just looked at in 2 Corinthians provide another viewpoint. Yes, we want to see people saved, and in many ways, having people come to a knowledge of Christ is our goal. In evangelism, of course, it is. But this, these verses help us also to see things from a slightly different viewpoint. These verses show us, from verse 14 through to the end of the chapter, that actually whenever the gospel is proclaimed, we should always be ready to see two types of reaction. Some will be saved, but others actually, as a result of gospel preaching, will become more entrenched in their unbelief. To use Bible language, some hearts remain as stone, whilst others are turned into flesh. For some, that gospel preaching is the aroma of life to life. But for others, that same gospel preaching, that same evangelistic work, that same gospel witness becomes for them the aroma of death to death. And Paul rightly asks the question, who is sufficient for these things? Who are we to decide which is which? Well, thankfully, it is not down to us. This is down to God alone. Who has already decided these things but God alone? Who is it who can bring life where now there is only death? This is God's work alone. Our goal is to see conversions, of course. But our task, which is a different thing, our task is to be diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in every place is the task of every Christian, is the life of every Christian. And again, we ask the question, who is sufficient for that? This too can only be done by God's sovereign power and grace in those who are in Christ Jesus. Which is why Paul talks about us being led in triumph in Christ. It is the fact that we can live like that. It is the fact that you as a Christian have the ability to be the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in which you triumph. That you can do that is a triumph of God's grace in your life. It's a triumph of God's strength and wisdom in your life that you can be that kind of witness. 
That is the thing in which we triumph. That is the thing in which Paul triumphed. Now, we recalled on Wednesday, and it's worth thinking about this again, that as we've been going through the the letter of Philippians on Sunday mornings, we remember that Paul wrote that letter when he was a prisoner in Rome. He was under house arrest. He was in chains. And yet, even in chains, he triumphed in the proclamation of the gospel. The aroma of the knowledge of Christ has been diffused throughout all of Caesar's household. It's gone through all of Caesar's palace. Now, Paul, of course, does not claim that every member of Caesar's household has become a Christian. He doesn't claim that everyone's being converted because they haven't been. But he can rejoice and he does rejoice in the fact that the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ has been diffused throughout Caesar's palace. Even chained up in his house, without himself stepping foot inside Caesar's palace, the gospel has found its way there. This is the triumph of God in the life of a Christian. The guards who've been coming to Paul, they've been going back. They've been speaking about him. They've been sharing with others the things that he's been sharing with them. Everybody's heard about Paul. Everybody's heard about the message that he's delivering. Who is sufficient for that? Not even Paul. But God is. And Paul has seen the the sufficiency of God, the all-sufficiency of God in the proclamation of the gospel, even while he's chained up under house arrest. The fragrance of the knowledge of Christ is being diffused through him. Now as we come towards the end of the summer holidays and as the busy summer evangelistic activities that some of us have been involved in and that you've been praying for, as they all come to a close and as all of us begin what we might call our regular, some might say humdrum routines and all of those things return again. I want to unpack these verses a little more, particularly in the light of what Paul says at the end of verse 14. In every place. In every place. It's not just on beach missions. It's not just in holiday Bible clubs. It's not just in youth camps. In every place, at every time, with every circumstance and opportunity that the Lord presents you with as a Christian, that you can be diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to others. First of all, let's just think about the fact that these verses teach us quite categorically that not everybody will be saved. Not everybody will be saved. For some, the preaching of the gospel brings the aroma of death to death. And it confirms them in their lost state. And as I mentioned on Wednesday, this is in, it's in complete accord with the teaching, teachings of Jesus and it's in complete accord with the observations of the writers of the Gospels and the Epistles. John begins in the opening chapter of his Gospel by telling us that those to whom Jesus came did not receive him. Jesus taught, even early in his ministry, that it's a narrow and difficult path, accessed by a narrow gate, which leads to heaven. 
and there are few people on that path. By comparison, there is a broad gate which opens onto a wide road and it leads to destruction and there are many to be found going that way. Jesus said that although many are being called, only few are chosen. So the Bible speaks very plainly about the fact that more people actually will remain unsaved than will be saved. Let us not speak as if God has not said any such thing. The fact is that even in times of great revival, such a work of God has usually been confined to a relatively small geographic area or to a relatively short period of time or perhaps has attended the ministry of a particular preacher. And if you read through your history books and church history, you'll see that's the case. 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. Now, what we would give to see 3,000 saved on the hearing of one sermon. What we would give for 3,000 to hear one sermon. 3,000 saved. What a thing that was. And yet, of course, we remember that in reality, 3,000 was a tiny percentage of the vast hordes of people who were in Jerusalem that weekend for the feast. But there's some very important things to remember because this, if we talk about it much longer, this can actually start to sound quite negative, can't it? But it isn't, and we must not think that way. Here's two important things to remember. Number one, we should never fail to marvel at the extent of what God has done and of the rejoicing that takes place in heaven when even one man or woman, when even one boy or girl turns to Christ in new birth and in repentance. When Jesus told a parable, it wasn't a thousand sheep that had gone astray that he went and found and brought back. It was one. It wasn't a thousand sheep that he'd found who he was rejoicing over. It was one. What rejoicing there is over one who is saved. Don't look down on the one as if it's a little thing. The salvation even of one is no small thing. What a work of sovereign grace and power that is that any sinner should be saved. What a mighty and glorious thing God has done in bringing just one person to repentance and to faith in Christ. Let's make sure we don't talk about wanting converts as if we think they should be two a penny. It's a wonderful thing that God does, even in bringing one to salvation. Don't despise the day of small things as if it's only a small thing that God has done in saving one. Not at all. It still took all the sufferings of Christ even to save that one. Second thing to bear in mind, these truths must never permit us to start thinking lightly about the fact that there are many who are perishing. Nor must we allow these truths to persuade us to lessen our endeavours in gospel preaching. Well, if it's really going to be that difficult, why bother? 
If it really is likely that we may not see many results, why put all the effort in? Do not allow these truths to let us start to think that way. This is really important because it's through gospel preaching, it's through evangelistic work, it's through personal witness that people are saved. This is the method and the means that God has given by which people are brought into his kingdom. In bringing these verses and highlighting these truths, I'm not suggesting for one moment that we should be happy or satisfied with few conversions. Far from it. Let me remind you about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's he who teaches about the few and the many. And he surely understands far more than we do the implications of all that he's teaching when he talks about those things. And yet... Even though Christ knows the reality of the few and the many. And even though Christ is the one who taught those things. In Matthew chapter 23, as Jesus considers the vast multitude in Jerusalem who have rejected him. He does not do so with a cold and unfeeling resignation. Well, that's just the way it is. Not at all. Despite the fact that he knows that many will reject him, his heart still yearns for them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wing? How often was I ready and calling you to do that? But you were not willing. And his heart grieves over the multitudes of those who've rejected him. His heart still burns for them, even though they've remained in unbelief. Oh, that our hearts need to remain burning with compassion for the lost. These are not truths to make our hearts grow cold. These are not truths to make us think, well, what's the point? Not at all. Because yes, there will be some for whom gospel preaching actually just hardens their hearts against Christ. But this verse also assures us there will be those for whom gospel preaching is the aroma of life to life. And for them we preach. And for them we witness. And for them we evangelize. And do not forget that God will be just as glorified in his judgment of the wicked as he is in his salvation of those he's chosen to save. And these verses remind us and they assure us that we are to take the fragrance of his knowledge into every place. It is for God to know who will be saved and who will not be. It is for God to know what the results of our evangelism will be and what the results of our witnessing will be. But we are to take the fragrance of his knowledge into every place. Some of you are old enough to remember the very distinct aroma of the disinfectant that there used to be in hospitals. They don't use it anymore. But I can remember the time, and so can you, when you, as soon as you walked into a hospital, that very distinctive smell hit you. And um, if you were someone who worked in a hospital, or if you were someone who'd visited a hospital, as soon as you walked through the door... People could smell the hospital on you straight away. 
Uh, I have a cousin who used to work in the Ogden's tobacco factory in Everton. It's closed a while ago. Her clothes always smelled not of cigarette smoke, but of raw tobacco, which is a slightly better smell than cigarette smoke. Marginally. But the fragrance was on her. She couldn't do anything about it. If you've been in the hospital, you have the fragrance back then. If you'd been in the tobacco factory, you had the fragrance. If you're in Christ, you have the fragrance. You do. If you are in Christ, you have it. Because it's part of being a Christian. You can't be in Christ and not have that fragrance. And that's what you are to be in every place. The fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. We're to take the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. How do we do that? Well, we're to have lives which are distinct from the world. Because our lives are being shaped by the knowledge of Christ. Those fruits of his grace which the apostles speak of so frequently throughout their epistles. Living lives of selflessness. The way Jesus sometimes mentions them in the Sermon on the Mount. Lives marked out by a unique love and mercy and patience and kindness. Lives of righteousness and goodness and humility. Lives of grace and forgiveness. Lives which have done away with envy and malice and covetousness and pride. Lips. Lips which are marked out by kindness. Lips that speak with grace. Lips that no longer have anything to do with gossip. No slander. Only truth. Lips that are never slow and never ashamed to speak of Christ. We diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. (coughs) Living as children of light. Living as children of God. Not as children of darkness and as children of wrath. In this... In Christ, you triumph. Because it's the work of God in you. It's the work of Christ in you. He makes you this. That's who you are now. If you're in Christ, you have his fragrance. For some, it's the aroma of death. Because they'll, have no, they'll want to have nothing to do with it. But for some, it's the aroma of life. Some are convicted of their sin, but like the inhabitants of Jerusalem, many choose to remain in their sin. Even though they've seen the positive results of the gospel in you, even though they can see the positive aspects of being a Christian in you, they choose the darkness because they prefer the darkness rather than light. It's the nature of being a sinner. It's remarkable, but it happens many times. But others, others will realise that what you have is exactly what they need. 
and they are convinced by your testimony and your witness. And for them, you are the aroma of life. And you lead them to life in Christ. And the same is true in preaching, in heralding the truth, in proclaiming Christ, making him known, making known the fragrance of his knowledge is to be diffused, causing people to choose this day who you will serve. In this place today, during Holiday Bible Club, through all of these different events that have been taking place through these recent weeks that we've been praying about so much, in all of these things, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ has been diffused. And every person then, every person here, is going to walk out having to make a choice. Will Christ be for you the aroma of life to life, or will Christ be for you the aroma of death to death? You can confront people in, in your own home if there are people who aren't the Lord's in your home. A few months ago at Doris Olliot's funeral, we heard how, despite such a full and busy household, she would always, always find time to bake a pie or a cake for a neighbour, simply to be kind, simply to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in the street where she lived. Now, you're to do that and be that in every place, and so am I, in your home in your neighbourhood. What can you do to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ? What about social media? How is it on your Facebook page? When people look you up on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, what is it that greets them? Endless photos of the very ordinary and mundane things that you've happened to do today? as if you think the world will be a far poorer place for not knowing about them. Never-ending commentaries on an infinite number of topics that you think we're all interested in. When people turn to your Facebook page, is there anything of the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ? Is there anything? Or are they overwhelmed by it when they turn to your Facebook page? Because Christ so overwhelms you and his fragrance so comes out of you. Even on Facebook, you can't help it. It's the only thing people can smell. The fragrance of the knowledge of Christ that's in you, pouring out of you. Even on Facebook. Is that what immediately wafts into the spiritual nostrils of those people who look at your information? Here is someone who knows Christ. Here is someone who's walking with Christ. Here is someone speaking of Christ. Here is someone in whose life Christ is all in all. That should be you and me in every place.
in every place. Likewise at work, likewise at school, likewise at uni. Busy weeks of summer evangelism are drawing to a close. And we're so thankful to the Lord that we still have such freedoms and opportunities to do those kinds of things. I'm very thankful to God that many of you are able and willing to give up your time, use up some of your holiday entitlement at work, sometimes make financial sacrifices to be involved in those kinds of things. But those things aren't coming to an end just because summer is coming to an end. We long to see many more coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, don't we? Surely we do. We continue to pray that many more will come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We must and we should. But this now is the daily task and the daily responsibility of every Christian. No excuses. No reasons why you shouldn't. And no reasons why you can't. Because in Christ, you triumph in these things. It doesn't all stop just because summer is ending. There is no reason why you can't and shouldn't diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in every place. That old smell of hospital disinfectant, you couldn't help it. You couldn't avoid it. You'd been in the hospital. You carried its fragrance. Everybody knew it. You are in Christ if you're a Christian. The fragrance of his knowledge is in you and it is on you. In this, God always leads us in triumph in Christ. He will keep you. You are his. What's our prayer as September and autumn comes along? That through us, through me, through you, this fragrance might continue to be diffused in every place to the praise and the glory of his name.